Hello and welcome to another podcast for the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Dr Mark Salter and with me is the President of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, Professor Dinesh Bugra. Dinesh, I wonder if I could start out by asking you what is essentially a personal question. You're the first President of the College to be from a so-called ethnic minority and a lot of your early work addressed issues of race, of culture and identity and so on. Has your personal experience of that background had a significant effect upon your, on your work and your style of working as the President? Thanks, uh, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. When I first uh, started training in psychiatry, I was quite interested in uh, looking at the impact of culture on etiology and management of mental illness and how different cultures saw same kind of clinical conditions but in a very different way. So it was an intellectual curiosity at that time. Say, before I went into full-time research, I went off and did uh, master's in um, sociology of health and illness, and then I did a master's in um, social anthropology before I did my PhD. And both of those uh, gave me an insight into how um, cultures shape our thinking and our behavior and how that allows us not only to present with distress, but also encourages uh, psychiatrists to use the appropriate uh, strategies to make diagnosis and manage patients. But do you think that is particularly useful for being a president? I think it is certainly uh, very helpful to have um, that kind of um, experience because wherever you go, quite often you're looking in to a situation or into a committee or into a group or into a college as a collection of tribes and people have very tribal values and they have very uh, specific agendas. So one of the skills that you bring both as a psychiatrist and um, having interest in cultural psychiatry is that how you look at the tribal rites and rituals and uh, ways of communicating. So it gives you a particular um, advantage, I think, now, early on in your presidency, I think it's fair to say you hit the ground running with that two-page feature in The Observer in which you drew attention to, to the poor state of psychiatric units, inpatient psychiatric units, in some areas of the country. Not all, but some. I know that was tied in some ways to the College's Fair Deal campaign, but it's fair to say that it caused a lot of concern, and I think it caused particular concern in government circles. Now, there's a dilemma here, it seems to me. On one hand, if we actually draw attention to the very poor state of inpatient psychiatric services in some areas, we're seen as being overtly political. But on the other hand, if we're quiet about it and don't make a mention of it, we're somehow accused of complacency, of allowing the problem to fester. What do you think about that? I think there are, again, sort of several ways of looking at the issue. I mean, as professionals, it is our job to make sure that the standard of services that our patients uh, receive is appropriate, meets their needs, and is uh, suitable so that all of us would be proud to use them ourselves. Mm. I think one of the major issues about... My comments uh, was linked with the college's fair deal campaign, as you say, but also it was that as I go around the country, it's very clear that um, some places provide absolutely superb services and other places are struggling with high staff sickness rates, uh, poor physical environment, and with um, um, staff who are really uh, working under very difficult circumstances. Yes, but my point is, I mean, psychiatrists have, after all, chosen to treat the only political organ in the body. 
Do you not think that, as psychiatrists, we should take a more, as it were, robust political stance in what, after all, very complex moral, philosophical and therefore political issues? I think um, my own view is that in terms of delivery of services, uh, whether we like it or not, psychiatrists are agents of the state. Uh, we can take people's liberty away and we can you know, um, lock them up and we have to defend our decisions in public. But the challenge, I suppose, for psychiatry is that if, as a college, we do not uphold standards of services, then we cannot make sure that uh, the training that we're giving to the future generation of psychiatrists is up to the mark and they have the right balance of exposure to both political, social on one side and biological aspects of uh, treating uh, individuals. Hmm. But that seems nonetheless to be one of the many reasons that psychiatry is almost on an inevitable collision course with, with the government or, or rather the other organs of power in our culture, as it were. I mean, I think a lovely illustration of this was perhaps um, what is increasingly seen as the erosion of the power of the medical profession in general, not just psychiatry. You'll recall that the Smith inquiry into the Shipman business led to a call for increased regulation of the medical profession, and with it an erosion of medical power. What's your view on that? It wasn't only uh, Shipman. I mean, Shipman was um, a pure and simple murderer. There's no other way of describing him. Uh, But there were other scandals that the medical profession did not uh, stand up to and be counted. And it was immediately interpreted as somehow that we were looking after our own and we were being very secretive. And my view is that uh, we need transparency and we need to be honest and upfront and say when things are going wrong that, you know, things are going wrong and these are the lessons we've learned, like the airline industry has. Mm. Nonetheless, it does seem as though psychiatry in particular, and perhaps medicine in general, are being buffeted by a lot of external pressures. A lot of people are talking about the increasing drift towards a kind of a, a managerialism. Perhaps psychiatry is no longer being driven by clinical priorities, but by needs to meet government fixed targets and so on. Do you think there's been an erosion of our leadership status? Have we been sort of crushed by a flat management structure that seems so fashionable nowadays? I don't think we have been crushed by the flat management structure. I think what we have lost over the last few years is ability to stand up and be counted. How do we do that? How do we stand up and make a clearer sound? I think the first thing that we need to do is, as a profession, we need to speak with a single voice. And if um, there is internecine tribal warfare between specialities, um, either within psychiatry or across medical specialities, and nobody would listen to us. Hmm. You say we need to speak, for example, with a clearer single voice, but the stock in trade, the raw material of psychiatry, is, is human complexity and diversity. How can we speak with a single voice when the subject matter is so multifaceted? I think that that is our strength, and I think we can demonstrate that we are dealing with very complex issues, we are dealing with very complex problems. Our brain is the most complex organ in the body, and on top of it we are dealing with mind. What we need to be able to say is, um, firstly, that um, as a profession, there are lots of good stories. Uh, there are lots of psychiatric conditions where we can um, achieve 90% plus cure rate. So we should not get bogged down with severe mental illness only 
that is only one part of the range of conditions that we treat. So we need to be able to say that you know there are lots of conditions that we can uh, treat. There are chronic conditions, of course, but then hypertension and diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis and a whole load of other conditions are chronic as well. So the challenge for us is to be able to say, you know, over the last 60 years, all the positive changes that psychiatry has made from closure of um, asylums to introduction of newer medications, moving from ECT to uh, transmagnetic um, stimulation Mm -hmm. plus use of uh, functional MRIs onto focusing on emotions and um, pathology. I think that there have been a tremendous amount of positive steps which quite often we do not make uh, a big deal of. Of course. So there's the raw material of these amazing breakthroughs and these very impressive achievements that psychiatry has made clinically, but how do we roll those out into the mind of the general public? I think we need to come out of our um, ivory towers. We need to have open debates. We need to be having lectures for a range of audiences at a range of time in the series on... But, Dinesh, sorry to push you on this, but where are the ladders and the lifts and the staircases out of the ivory tower in practical terms? I think the... If I understand you correctly, I think what you're saying is that how do we communicate that? Yes, get those very interesting, exciting messages across to the the minds of Joe Public. Yeah, and I, I think for a very long time we felt besieged and I think it goes back to the point that you were making earlier about um, deprofessionalization and um, having done that um, I think we are coming out of it we are much more confident now than we were you know before and therefore we should not be frightened of going out and I think we need ambassadors uh, to communicate that as well almost like uh, the notion of a culture broker, somebody who understands uh, the larger public community and understands the psychiatric culture and is able to communicate um, in both directions. I want to come back to that lovely idea of the ambassador in a few secs, but if I can go to the other end of the pyramid, as it were, um, and think about the grassroots of the college. In my own work in public education, I often hear people say the college should be doing more about this or that issue, but what can you as president do to, to mobilise those grassroots, so as it were to, to increase the sense of collective work and ownership of the, of the ideas and the work of the college publicly? I think that has been one of the messages that I've been trying to push um, during my period, which is that college is not the building in Belgrave Square. The college is not uh, divisional headquarters uh, around the country. The college is members, and that's its strength. And as a democratic organization, uh, each one of us as a member or fellow of the college has a responsibility to take on uh, that role of uh, informing, educating, and conversing um, with the public at large. Yes. We live in the era of the awareness campaign for this or that issue, and the college itself is no stranger to campaigns. Do you think that um, these campaigns, given how little they seem to impact on public perceptions of mental illness, do you think they're a useful way, um, a useful way of spending college resources? I think so. I think there are two things that you need to bear in mind. One is that because psychiatry has been under so much pressure and there's so much negative imagery about it, I think uh, what campaigns do is uh, flag up 
various issues and what they also do is raise awareness um, even if it is not sustained as the defeat depression campaign uh, demonstrated that you know, there was a lot of change initially but then um, it wasn't sustained uh, years on but what you also need to bear in mind is that um, if there are no campaigns then there's absolutely no awareness so part of the role of the college as a professional organization is to even if it's in the short term making people aware that there are issues to do with say you know one in four of us will develop mental illness during our life course i want to move on if i can to the very important issue of recruitment now i know this is an idea that is particularly exercising the dean at the moment i think in a recent lecture the dean warned that at present rate something like 95% of people entering psychiatric training are going to be overseas graduates many of whom do not have english as their first language why is that do you think i think there is a significant proportion of uh, medical students who go into medicine wanting to do psychiatry but somewhere between their third and fourth year they uh, change their minds so the question and the challenge for psychiatry is whether uh, they get better offers from other subjects or uh, that they find that we are not selling the subject very well and and the consultants who are working are feeling quite um, uh pressured and um but is it not the case that quite a lot of medical students with all that initial enthusiasm go into psychiatry and are confronted by a load of desperate rather pressed individuals who are worried about their loss of, of, their, of their independent status as leadership as i say oppressed by the increasing managerial climate and the notion of the multidisciplinary team where perhaps the psychiatric role is somehow seen as diluted and that gives rise to kind of a as it were a shadow of low morale that demoralizes the medical student and encourages them to go elsewhere i mean is that the case do you think i'm i'm sure there's an element of that uh, but then you know we also know from uh, the scottish experience where uh, there are more jobs in fy1 and fy2 for psychiatry training and so the recruitment is quite the levels are quite different compared to england and we have to make it clear uh to the medical students that psychiatry is the most exciting speciality bar how, none how do we do that that's the I challenge i think we in several ways i mean firstly we have to uh be seen to be enjoying what we do in spite of i mean i think one of the major challenges for any psychiatrist is to be able to deal with ambiguity and to hold patient's anxiety and the carer's anxiety and the team's anxiety and i think those are the skills that psychiatrists have and that's the kind of thing that we should be encouraging medical students to think about that if you don't have those skills then don't think psychiatry and you and i know that that sheer sometimes mind-boggling complexity is what makes the job so interesting i mean psychiatry is the only branch of medicine where you you have to read the newspapers and go to the cinema as well as study brain physiology and emotions and relationships and so on but it seems to me that we need to find a whole group of individuals from within our profession who can go out there and sell the, the wonders of that complexity that richness and diversity of what it means to be a suffering human being and i suppose that brings me back to this question of engaging with the public again put simply dinesh who are the heroes of modern psychiatry that can go out and do that i mean we can't surely leave it down to stephen fry rufus may and richard bentel can we No I agree with you uh, we can't and we shouldn't I think as a profession we have the responsibility to make sure that uh, we fly the flag and we uh, fly the flag proudly and we take pride in what we do I think we 
I have to stop feeling ashamed of being psychiatrist and we have to say, you know, uh, this is the most exciting speciality. This is the most uh, fun speciality. And as you say, that you have to incorporate um, multitude of information sources, whether it's fiction, literature, poetry, cinema, theater, you can do that. But also, I mean, I think one of the challenges for us is that we do not need uh, individuals who can comment on everything. Mm -hmm. I think we need people who are experts in certain areas and are able to communicate that. But I'm wondering, who are the people out there, generalist or specific, who we we can call upon now? Where are they? And what can the college do to facilitate perhaps those young, talented communicators to come forward and raise their head above what, after all, is quite a frightening parapet, the media parapet? I think that there are um, individuals who are writing, um, you know, Ben Goldacre, for example, who ben writes Goldacre, about bad science. Well, but he, 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 doesn't he doesn't identify himself as a psychiatrist or very often. Or he's a doctor. I think he does as a doctor. And, you know, Max Pemberton, who has written two sort of fairly uh, exciting and enjoyable uh, books, who's a trainee psychiatrist. There are others that I can think of who are sort of coming through the ranks. The challenge for the college and a profession is to be broad-minded enough to be able to say that, yes, we can have a diversity of opinions. You know, not everybody needs to speak about either uh, biology or be anti-biology. I think there is a whole range of things that we can pronounce effectively and communicate saying mental illness, you have to use sort of biology, psychology and uh, sociology and social factors and spirituality mm-hmm. and culture and a whole host of other things. Another area I think where the college is, I think can, can hold its head up is in its collaboration with other people involved in the whole business of care. What more do you think the college can do to to facilitate that all-important sharing and collaboration between the people on the giving and the receiving end of good psychiatric care? My fantasy is that we should have a mental health council based uh, with true partnership with uh, other mental health professionals and with patients and carers and um, other non-governmental organisations, voluntary organisations or third sector. But don't you think that's in danger of tokenism? So often you find that the user representative on this or that committee very often has a voice which is really acknowledged simply because of their presence rather than because of their issues. How do we make sure they are truly consulted and that having consulted them, their point of view influences the process? As you know, that the college has over a 1,000 patients and carers on its uh, email list who are regularly consulted about a series of um, things. That's the kind of dialogue I agree with you. Tokenism is not uh, the way forward, although it's very easy. So what we need is a true uh, dialogue where we can disagree with each other and we can agree with each other and then come to some kind of... um, agreement or a way of pushing forward uh, the agenda. I mean, let's be honest, psychiatrists wouldn't exist if there were no patients. And we are the best people to provide best treatment um, to the patients, and most patients would rather see us than anyone else. Dinesh, final question. Your presidency is entering its final year. What would you like to achieve in, 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 in that final year of your, of your run? 
What I would like to finish on would be completing this piece of work on psychiatry's contract with society, which is uh, being very clear as to what we can and what we should be doing and what we cannot and should not be doing. I mean, the contract between uh, medicine as a profession and society has always been an implicit one and never an explicit one. And um, not that I want to make it uh, explicit, but I want to make it clear that in order to look after uh, the mentally ill patients and the most vulnerable individuals, what we need is a clear understanding uh, about resources, a clear understanding about training, a clear understanding about what the society's priorities are. Without that dialogue, we'll be singing in wilderness. Professor Dinesh Bruger, thanks very much for talking to me. Thank you.